0: is actually you are a real runner.' Jacqueline Riccio. Hi, hey, it's Jacqueline with SystemsForSelfCare.com, where I teach you to consistently take daily actions so you can feel happier, healthier, and more confident. Today, I have on the podcast, Kate, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I'm really excited. So you are a clinical exercise physiologist. You are low on the woo-woo, high on the science, which is really good. I always share with my listeners, not that I'm high on the woo-woo, but I'm very low on science. So I do like to talk to people who know more about science and can break it down into simpler terms for us people who are not uh, science nerds. So I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So I always like to just kind of start out with um, hearing about what got you into what you're doing now. So you you used to own a running tour guide. Is that a business? In, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So back in 2000, um, I had a lot of um, girlfriends that I ran with and I I complained to them. I was traveling a lot for business and I complained to them, you know, I travel for business and I never know if I'm going to be safe where I'm going. If I want to go for a run, the concierge will say, oh, you can just go in this one area. And I, you know, who knows whether or not that's a safe place as a woman to run. And so they said to me, well, why don't you start a company? Why don't you start a guided running tour company? So I did. I had the first guided running tour company in the world. Um, And so we had kind of a top shelf service where we would pick you up at your hotel, you know, bottles of water, a guide with a first aid kit, and we would take you on a tour of the city in Vancouver, where I live. It's super fun. And then we did outbound tours as well. So we
0: went to marathons all over the world um, with charity marathon groups. So we were the coaches. That's amazing. And yeah. Vancouver is a very like I I've had people on the podcast uh, that live in Vancouver and it just sounds like a, a place where people go for adventures.
1: It is. It's one of the fittest cities in North America. So I do a lot of research and teaching around physical activity. And I have to say Vancouver is one of the models in North America for active cities and active living. Almost mm-hmm. to the point that we can be accused of being a bit boring because we're all, always going to bed early because we got something
0: to do the next day. Yeah. So were you a runner growing up? Were you an athlete always? Yeah. So I was sort
1: of, well, I was, I rode horses very competitively when I was a kid and, um, I was in and out of group sports, but my dad ran since the 1950s and in the fifties, he got stopped by the police all the time and they would ask him what he was doing. And he would say to them, I'm running. And they'd say, well, what are you running from? Because there was no running boom back then. So So he just modeled this, right? He was running all the time. He'd go out in the morning, just quietly. He never really told us to go out and do it. But as I got older, I just eventually went out with him and ran. And I have been running since I was 18 years old. Yeah. So that's 34 years ago.
0: Yeah. So a long time. So your dad is like, I I love when you go to a race and there's a guy that has been doing the race since like the first one and he'll tell you how it's changed. That's your, that would be your dad. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. So was running a big part of your life, like through college then and early adulthood? Yeah, so
1: I was always involved in running groups. I was a coordinator for the Sun Run up here. Um, that's one of the biggest 10Ks in North America. It's about 50. I think at its height, it was like 52,000 people or something. Um, and so I helped train groups for that. I, you know, did races every year. So. I've done a ton of different race distances and events. Yeah. And I just loved it. I just loved the community and how welcoming and accepting everybody was.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's like one of the hard thing if there's some, I know I have some listeners who have never run a race and they're nervous to go because they're afraid they're going to be the last, they're going to be the biggest, the slowest, whatever. And then you get there and you're like, oh, actually like no one really cares. And people are really accommodating and like welcoming and excited for you to be there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just so magical. I, you know, my husband makes this really great point about running a marathon, for instance, will probably be one of the biggest days in your life. And I've had two kids, so I've been through that, but the marathons are still way up there. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah. So you were in running, but you made a transition and you no longer, that's not like the main thing that you do. Is that right? Yeah. So I
1: work in health promotion and I have um, an online business and a bricks and mortar business. So I do physical activity consulting, Um, But then in my online business, I support women in midlife to make lifestyle changes and um, basically to build their confidence and their strength and their overall health. So for the last 17 years, I've been a healthy aging researcher. So I've worked in um, clinical research and community research and just learned a lot about what what types of things that you can do to make a huge difference in how you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, and for most people, you know, you're not really thinking about that now, but it it makes such a big difference. Um, even, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, if you can make changes there, even small changes um, are really
0: profound. Yeah. What prompted you to get like, what, how did you get interested in that? In health promotion? Well, in aging specifically.
1: Oh, okay. So um, I worked in rehab for many years. So I worked in vocational rehab and I worked with folks who had um, difficult to manage chronic illnesses. And I worked on a big team with physicians and psychologists and um, just these really complex cases and... Although I love the work, I thought there's got to be a more upstream way to get to people, right? We have There's got to be a way that we can help people before they get to this point. And so I went back to school and I focused my career and my life on preventative health. And I think part of that around preventative health is you're just going to bump up against aging and older adults, right? Because that's where a lot of the chronic disease is kind of where the rubber hits the road is when people start into their 50s and 60s. And so, you know, maybe those folks who haven't taken great care of themselves now start to see the wheels come off a little bit. Um, So I was just really interested in the whole aging piece. And I started out kind of at the other end of the spectrum with what we affectionately call the oldest old. So people in their 80s um, and above, and then kind of work my way back to people in their fifties and, you know, in that kind of area, midlife. And that to me is just the crucial point. It's the turning point where Mm -hmm. you can just make such a big difference in, in how you're going to get older, right? If you're going to be one of those people that you see hiking up the mountain in their sixties and seventies, or if you're going to be that person who's struggling just to get up a flight of stairs, Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. When I work with clients, I, there's two questions that I always ask and it's like, would, when it comes to food and exercise and like things that mm. you're doing, like, would you want this for an eight-year-old? And also what do you want for yourself when you're 80? Right. Mm. Like looking ahead, like, do you want to be like this obsessed with food or do you want to be this sedentary when you're 80? Like, what is that life that you want? It kind of puts it in perspective because. Um, we can get so caught in like where we are or also think that it's too late. Ah, this is how I've always been. It's too late to make a change. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not.
1: It's never too late. Never too late. Um, I've had clients um, in one of my research projects in their 80s who were balancing on stability balls, right? People who Ah. could barely walk who we had balancing on stability balls. I mean, with big supervision (laughs) and lots of planning, but it's never too late. Same people using weights, right? That's, that's something that I think all, especially women should be doing throughout their life. I mean, strength training, I could just go on a, a long rant about that, about how important it is. And for runners in general, we forget about strength training. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, go on your rant. Why is it so important? Because I still, I will have people oh man, I don't want to get bulky. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to actually get bulky and also think, no, I should use these, like the two pound pink weights, but it's like, but you left your grandchild, you left your child. Who's like 40 pounds. Your purse is really heavy. So what what do you have to say about strength training and why it's really important for women, especially
1: Yeah, well, just for so many reasons, I think that idea, and it's just such a long standing belief that's really hard to fight against. You made such a great point, this idea, I'm going to bulk up. I mean, my answer to that is go to any Olympic weightlifting gym and ask the folks there how easy it is to bulk up, Mm -hmm. because that's what they're all trying to do, right? It takes a lot of work to bulk up. I mean, you have to be lifting some pretty heavy weight for that to happen, Um, but just for your overall function. So just how you're moving through the world, how confident you feel, how your body feels, how you're burning calories. Uh, A lot of women are really concerned about maintaining their weight. And the women that I work with, of course, are in that time of life where they just suddenly have this big shift in their body and they can't really figure out what to do about it. I mean, my number one go to would be strength training, um, and not not lifting the two pound weights, right? As you said, making it really functional, what are you doing in the rest of your life? What other kinds of things are you lifting? So we're not going to really get anywhere with without what we call the overload principle, right? Your body is so skilled at adapting all the time. It's always adapting like to your runs to your um, strength training to whatever demand you're putting on it. So if you're continually putting a really light demand, your body will adapt to that very quickly and will, you know, not progress ahead. So that's kind of the idea with having that increased amount of weight. Now, to be clear, I would hate to recommend that and have anybody go out and, you know, injure their joints or anything. You really should get proper supervision um, to do that kind of training. And for runners, I think for people in the aging process, I would really recommend, you know, working with someone with a degree in exercise science to make sure that 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 program that you're doing is sound and safe. But once you've got that in place, I mean, that is, it's just key um, to so many parts of your life and women especially get really focused on cardiovascular activity, right? They just want to do cardio um, and I'm generalizing, but you know, a lot of us are like that because that's how we kind of um came to find exercise, I would say, right? Sure. A lot of us came to running or walking or swimming or cycling. Aerobics, step aerobics. Aerobics. (laughs) But less Mm -hmm. so in the gym. Less Mm -hmm. lifting weights. And it's as women, it's something that really makes you feel powerful too, right? There's something there's a mental part of it that's really key as well, I think. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of strength training. And injury prevention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um, I feel like, like for me, I didn't grow up as an athlete. And so running was like a really nice way to learn how to move my body. Mm. And it was like a really good thing. Like, Oh, like you just put shoes on and you go outside and you go. Right. But then it's mm. like, okay, there's, there's other things like there's other aspects of health and even just taking care of your body so that you can run, um, that it does need to progress a little bit. um, I like what you said too. Like, don't just go and like get a bunch of heavy weights and start because you're going to get hurt. So what Mm. would like for someone who has never lifted weights before, Mm. like what, like, how do you even start?
1: Yeah, so I would start um, by looking up some good quality resources, right? Um, American College of Sports Medicine is one place to go. They've got some resources for the public, um, any of the big sort of organizations like that, Um, or if you're just working with someone, making sure that they have a really good understanding of setting up a strength training program. And the one thing I would say to you, if you're thinking about, well, how would I know that? the person working with you should make sure that they are assessing you where you are, right? Like what's going on with you right now? And how are we going to build a program from that? Um, But starting out, you know, you can start out just with body weight. A lot of the programs that I do with women, um, we're doing integrated. We call it in our, our research project, we called it a stealth exercise, which means, it's just part of your day. It doesn't have to be go to the gym, make this time, go somewhere you feel really uncomfortable. Like you think of the, the levels or the layers of barriers that we're putting in place with that. If you want to do strength training, you could start out by just doing, you know, three squats while you're brushing your teeth. So just for me, if I was going to have someone start out, I would have them just match it to another habit in their day. So Do you make coffee every morning? Great. You know, we can get you to do some um, side leg lifts while you're making your coffee. Just do three of them and do three at another point during the day and do another three somewhere else or five and just build it up that way. So you can just get used to those movement patterns and just that small amount of strength activity. Because I think one of the biggest problems that I see is that people go from nothing to being really excited and wanting to do all these things. And I'm going to go to the gym. And then, you know, as you know, a lot of people then stop doing that activity, right? And then they feel really disappointed. Well, I didn't keep it up. So if you can go into it a little bit more slowly, a little bit uh, lower baseline, then that's one way to keep yourself going. And once you've done those body weight exercises, you know, you can move to bands, you can do free weights, like you could just have a set of dumbbells at home
0: or, you know, move
1: on to the gym and get some help there.
0: That's amazing. Just like easing into it. And exactly what you said, I talk about this too. I call it the extreme exercise triangle where you're really, really strict and then you might miss the day and you're like a little bit permissive and then you keep missing days and you're neglectful and you're like, I gotta get out of this. Ah, I know I'll go do another extreme program. And it just repeats and people will do it with food and they'll do it with exercise. And it really like, it messes with your life and it messes with your confidence too. Like you're like, it stops being a fun thing and you start thinking, you start believing that you can't do anything and you can't stick to things and it really messes with you.
1: Yeah. And we've got a lot of those things right now. You know, we've got step counters and Strava and all of these things that are keeping us accountable, but they're also sometimes keeping us a bit of a slave to our programs, right? That then we're, we're doing all that we can all the time to keep up with those counters and programs. So, yeah, I mean, there's got to also be some level of enjoyment in it, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you hate going to the gym and I, you know, I'll have to give back my uh, degree for this, I'm sure, but don't go to the gym, like try something else, do body weight exercises, try doing a circuit when you're out on trails, you know, where you're using, Um, Just natural equipment, right? Just lifting up things from the ground. Like there's other ways to do it rather than just gym or structure.
0: Mm -hmm. And you might have shared this, but why, like, what about lifting weights? Like, why is that important for us as we age? Like, how does that help the aging process?
1: Yeah. So, not to be too technical, but there's something that happens as we get older and, and, I have to be careful here because it's a normal part of aging, but that doesn't mean it's a required part of aging, right? So it's kind of the normal course, but it doesn't have to happen this way. It's a normal part given our lifestyle. So we go through a process called sarcopenia where our muscles just naturally start to get smaller. So if you maintain a strength training program, you can maintain muscle mass that's closer to people in their, you know, thirties and forties, well into older age. It's amazing. If you look at a cross section of a leg, for instance, right? You look at a quad, a cross section of a quad on an MRI, and you can see the muscle on the inside, well, the bone in the middle, right? And then the muscle, you can see the layer and that can be really tiny. I mean, think about someone who's quite elderly and think about their legs, right? They usually have pretty small legs, even if the top of their body is bigger. Um, And that's what's getting us around. That's what's keeping us independent. That's what's keeping us from, you know, needing help as we get older. And so, you want to maintain that muscle, that uh, leg and hip strength throughout your life right so we want to make sure that we're keeping that muscle mass at least to the point where we're not losing it as we get older right so if that's just a steady decline and those muscles are getting smaller we want to at least keep that as stopping the decline and if we're really working hard we are going to grow some of that muscle mass which is great, right? More muscle mass again, burns more calories, um, better strength, just as allows us better function overall.
0: Yeah. Years ago I had someone on the podcast, Corin, and she was talking about like uh getting up from a toilet. Like getting up from the mm-hmm. toilet is your I mean you're you have to squat and you have to get up, but like mm. if you don't have that strength as you're older and then having to be dependent on someone else just to get on the toilet, it's it can feel very I don't know what the word is, but like demeaning or just like losing, Mm. losing that independence, like having to always Mm. depend on someone else to move is really hard. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And as runners, you know, we do go out and, you know, put a lot of miles on, um, and we just expect that we're constantly building those muscles, but we're not necessarily right. We are just maintaining endurance in our muscles, which is different than strength. So, I think it's just really important, and especially if you think about women, I would say from about the age of 30 on, I mean, I could just go through the list of the number of women that I know who say, oh, I've got this hip injury, right? Hip is where we get injured as runners a lot um, as women, and part of it can be related to childbirth, right? People who've had kids. And then they're running soon afterwards, you know, they have some pelvic instability and they end up with a hip injury. But if it's not hip, it's like hip knee, right? Like it's all in the chain. Um, So I think, yeah, absolutely. We want to keep those areas strong throughout our life and our running life. Like I think both of those are so important. Mm
0: -hmm. So when you work with someone and they kind of They're exercising more, they're moving more, and they're gaining more confidence. What changes for them in life because they're doing these things?
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I can give you an example of the research project that I worked on for, it was a multi-year project. And we worked with women who were, they had to be sedentary to be in the study, like really, really sedentary. Um, That was kind of the entrance requirement. And, um, you know, in the beginning, you can imagine what, how those women talked about themselves. I hated PE. I don't like to sweat. I'm not good at sports. I hate exercise, you know, and then as we slowly, um, got them more active. And again, just with really small lifestyle changes now, it was, you know, I want to learn more about strengthening. I've got my husband walking more. I've got my friends doing exercise with me. I feel great about, you know, doing this thing. Like they just, their confidence and just the way they carried themselves changed. It was really, really amazing to watch. And I've seen this over and over um, and again, especially in women, because, you know, the, a lot of the work that I do is with women, but um, I see this change in confidence. I th- I think, you know, even women in their late thirties, early forties, and then going into their fifties, there's just a change where sometimes there's a bit of a loss of confidence in their bodies, right? Their bodies aren't the same as they were when they were twenty. And they're kind of like, what happened? Where did that go? And part of that, you know, losing touch with how your body used to be is Mm -hmm. also kind of overlaid with a lack of confidence around it. So I think when women make those changes, when they exercise regularly, not only do they gain confidence, but they're also making a statement that it's time to put themselves Mm -hmm. at the front of the line, right? Like Mm -hmm. we do so much... For, for everybody else. Um, and we, you know, I I listened to a great podcast the other day talking about how a badge of honor for women, especially around motherhood, is to be selfless. And what a crazy idea that is, right? That's crazy that we let go of everything else to make sure everybody else is okay. I mean, it's it's admirable, but we get lost in that process. So I think by keeping women active, keeping them strong. It keeps them also reminding themselves that they matter just as much as all of the other things that they're trying to do in their lives.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a big piece of the work I do with people too. and it, It's moms, especially. Mm-hmm. And I need to put myself last. Everyone else matters before me. And then not having any energy for themselves. And whether you're religious or not, I just like to think like, I heard this somewhere, but like, God didn't make any extras. Like, Mm. like you, like actually like your role isn't just motherhood. Your role isn't just your career. Like you Mm. just beyond those identities, just you matter too. But that's hard for a lot of people. Do you find Mm -hmm. that?
1: Absolutely. I think that's one of the hardest things, right? That I'll do it when I have time. I'll do it when I've done this thing. Right. And then women will be kind of hard on themselves and they'll say, well, you know, I used to exercise, you know, you're so good. You're so disciplined. And it's like, it has nothing to do with discipline. It has everything to do with habits. You know, like it's not a, it's not a character flaw. If you're not exercising and eating well and doing all the things that you know, you're expected to do on top of doing all of the other things that you're expected to do. It just, it, part of it is just recognizing that we do matter and we should be closer to the front of the line, if not the front, right? We can't take care of other people well, unless we're taking care of ourselves. And I think, yeah, it's just, that's the key piece. It's just creating habits, and just following those habits. I mean, I, I go out for a run in the same way that I brush my teeth. I don't have a big battle with myself. It's not like, oh, I should go. I should do this. You know, I run four or five days a week and I just, I just go. It's It's mindless. It's the one time. I mean, I'm very mindful when I'm running, but to get there, those are the times you want that And again, in the research terms, we call that automaticity, right? You want that kind of like just automatic thinking to get you to do your exercise, to eat well, to do your mindfulness, whatever it is that you're trying to do to be healthier. Those things aren't about discipline and, you know, that some people just are better at them.
0: I'm pretty lazy overall, but I will go for a run because it's just a lifelong habit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you use that word automaticity. So in my previous life, there <laughs> was a teacher, but we'll talk about that. Like with, when a kid's learning to read, it's very hard, mm-hmm. right? You need to learn the letters. You need to learn the sounds. You have to put them together to make words. It's a lot of thinking that has to go involved to read a word, but then the more you practice it, it's automatic. Like we mm-hmm. don't, you don't have, as an adult, you don't, you rarely have to sound out words. You just, it's automatic. Right. But like, I think that people, when it comes to health, healthy habits, they think that if it's not automatic right away, that it's not for them. And it's for the people who grew up as athletes, but really Mm. like they miss out on that, but wait, no, there are these, these learning pieces that have to be put in place to make it automatic. Right. Mm it's so true and i that word
1: that you used athletes i mean can i tell you a quick story i hope you do um so i used to coach for many years this charity marathon group and so many of the people running in the marathon group they were doing it for other people right they were raising money for because their kid had um juvenile arthritis or you know some of them were in um uh, they were raising money for cancer research. There were all different charities that we worked with, but yeah, many people were there for other people. And so they, many of them were pretty new to running as well. And I had a woman who phoned me up and wanted to talk to me about her training program. And she's told me about how she was doing really high mileage too. But she's, I said, how come you don't come out to the group runs? And she said, well, you know, I'm pretty overweight, I'm over 200 pounds or something like this. And I feel very self conscious. And you know, I'm not really a runner. I'm not really an athlete. And I said, can you just read back to me, your training plan that you've been doing? And she read it back. And I said, you're a runner. Yeah, you are a runner. Like, yeah. trust me, you are an athlete. Um, whether you want to admit to it or not. Um that that kind of activity that you're doing, and I, I think as soon as you strap on your shoes, you're a runner. Yeah. Like there's no entrance requirement, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's got a clipboard out there saying, okay, now you're in because you've done a half marathon or because you've done a a 10K. Um, if you have the bravery to put on your shoes and get out there, you're a runner. And if you're doing that regularly, you are an athlete. Mm-hmm. It isn't it isn't exclusive to people who are in the Olympics.
0: Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I bet seeing yourself as one, seeing yourself as a runner or an athlete, or I call, I just call myself an active person. Like I'm an active Mm. person, but that like perpetuate, like having that identity Mm. perpetuates me doing stuff.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that idea, you know okay, so you didn't like PE? Not many people did. You know? <laughs> it doesn't mean you're bad at sports or at, and you know, I can't throw a Frisbee to save my life. Mm. I can't play tennis. Um, In my, when I was doing my undergrad, I remember one of my professors calling me a motor moron, which was pretty fitting, right? Like I couldn't, I'm not very good at anything that requires coordination, right? Like like a, a racket sport or anything. Uh Um, but does that mean I'm not an athlete? Does that mean I'm not active? Does that mean I don't get to be part of the club? Mm. No way, no way, Mm. you know? And I think a lot of people are apologizing for not being a certain way when they're being active and that, you know, that's, that's tragic because we have a huge physical inactivity crisis in North America. I mean, you know, and I don't use the word crisis lightly. It is a crisis that's contributing to most of the chronic disease in North America, right? Mm -hmm. That's what Mm -hmm. people are getting sick and dying from. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it is you can tie back to physical inactivity.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and like you mentioned, there are so many barriers, like if you think like... oh man, I'm nervous to go to a gym, like having, having to drive to a gym, having Mm -hmm. to afford a membership to a gym, having to feel comfortable in your body to go to a gym and thinking Mm. that just doing leg raises isn't going to be enough. Or, you know, there's so many Mm. barriers that can prevent you from doing these things that are going to help you. Mm -hmm. Not to mention all of those other structural things
1: like poverty and housing and, you know, like part of physical activity is privilege as well, right? So when I have to be really careful when I'm talking about it to be mindful of that, because, you know, unless you have access to a lot of those things, it's also hard to be active. Um, and, And access meaning time as well, time and, you know, childcare, all of those other things. But for people who are, you know, are not in that position, you know, again, just not being hard on themselves, just Not maybe taking away the one barrier around the belief about who is active, who can be active. It's not people who have some special skill. I have my whole life. I've had people say to me, oh, I don't want to run with you because, you know, I'm too slow or I won't go far enough. And again, it's like, I don't care how fast you are. I just want to go out and run. I just want to have that social time with you, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just, there's no, there's no entrance requirement to being active. It doesn't matter what size you are. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, if you haven't exercised in 10 years, we just rather you were out there. So however that happens, you know, I just, I just would encourage people to just start moving. I mean, that is the whole crux of the work that I do is around, Um, reducing sedentary time. It's just, you know, we have a very seated culture and that's a whole disease risk that's separate and apart from people not doing cardiovascular exercise, right? It's if we have people sitting down for 10 hours a day, even if they're going out for their 30 minute run, we still have a big risk to our health. So if you can, If you feel like I can't get started, I can't do anything at all, just start with moving more. Just start with breaking up your sitting time. Just get up every 25 minutes. If you're sitting at a desk, move around for five minutes, do some stretches, you know, have a little walk, go for a walk after dinner, take your dog out, like whatever it is, just think about how can I integrate more movement
0: into my day Mm -hmm. and then think about doing the exercise. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit more about that? Like, cause I I know that a lot of people, I I do my work day and then I will go for a run or I'll run before I'll exercise before and I'll, or I'll exercise after. But what, why is that like the 10 hours of sitting in front of a screen and typing? Like, what about that is so dangerous and why is that like a problem?
1: Yeah. So I guess the most simple way to look at it would be to think about if I put you in bed for 10 hours during the day, right? If we think about people who are in hospitals, for instance, who are just immobile all day, that's essentially what we're doing when we're sitting. We're just sort of turning off our muscles. We are putting a lot of load on our spines. um, And we're just taking away that part of our part of our, really part of our evolution, right? If you think Mm -hmm. about millions of years ago on the Savannah, the only way that we survived, we didn't have big teeth. We didn't have, you know, scary claws. We didn't have body armor. We were these soft little morsels of meat. Like how did we make it millions of years, right? We, well, one of the ways that we made it through was that we could run away you know we are we are um movers in the animal kingdom we are the long distance runners of the anim- animal kingdom mm-hmm. right and you think so our bodies up until recently were not accustomed to all of this downtime yeah and i read a really interesting thing recently about how one of the theories and i don't quote me on this because I haven't gone and looked at the research behind it. But one of the theories around why sitting is um, harmful to you, I mean, beyond all of the other things, why it's harmful to your health, but it's a, it's a trigger um, in that in more ancient cultures, by the time people spent a lot of time sitting, they were well into old age, right? And so thinking about sort of the whole cascade of events that are set off in aging and when people really slow down. Um, So that's kind of an interesting theory around it. It's really around just the lack of movement, the lack of firing your muscles throughout the day, and how that's just not something that our body was designed to do, right? Every human invention that we have created was to make our life easier. And as a result, we've made our lives sedentary right people yes. will text people who are sitting beside them or they'll you know phone somebody at a desk that's just down the hall um so if we can get up and move like you think of those cultures around the world where mm. people are not um not as heavy as the north american society um there are places in the world i'm that nerdy traveler who's taking pictures of You know transit systems and walking paths because places that really promote a lot of walkability and movement are also places that typically have fitter, healthier
0: people. Yeah, it's. I feel like and food food is very important. It is right, like what we Mm. eat is very important. But when we think about health, sometimes that we just think about that. But what you said, like move me, moving, walking walking to the store. Um, I know I've read and seen things like those, like those are the, what is it called? The blue zones. I don't know. How, oh, yeah, you can sounds, tell me yeah, the, yeah. the research mm-hmm. there, but when they looked at those communities, it's like, these are people who have, who have strong, uh, a strong community mm-hmm. and they walk places. And also I think they were like, like they live about, they, they had to walk upstairs maybe. Right. Um, and now it's like, Oh, if you live in a, a condo downtown and you just drive you're in an uber everywhere or you order food you order food and you don't do anything but like yeah technology has made things so easy but now that's the problem
1: yeah i mean we have engineered movement out of our life right um
0: that's really what
1: we've done and it's it's you know great to get comfortable and sit down and we do this culturally we say oh come and sit we feel uncomfortable when people are not sitting, right? We, we want them to sit down. We want them to sit down to have a conversation. We want them to sit down to learn. Um, I mean, kids in school are seated all day long. Um, so just that that small amount of movement when we added up over the day, if we can just get people to break up their sitting time, that would be so profound, Mm-hmm. Um some of the earliest studies on physical activity were done on these bus drivers in London they were on double decker buses stop me if you know this story no so they were on double decker buses and they were actually not looking at physical activity in the study they were looking at heart disease and they found this kind of um surprising outcome that the drivers tended to have more heart disease and the ticket takers had less heart disease. And so this was the some of the earliest physical activity or sedentary behavior studies, um, because they realized that the ticket takers were walking all day long on the buses, and they were going up and down the steps and the drivers were just seated. Um, so... Yeah, absolutely. We need to get that movement in. If you are, you know, waking up in the morning, sitting and having breakfast, getting in your car in the garage, driving to the office, taking the elevator up to your office, sitting all day, coming home, watching TV all night. Does it make sense that if you had those 23 and a half hours of being totally sedentary, that 30 minutes would make up for it? Not necessarily. I mean, absolutely. We need our 30 minutes, five days a week of that cardiovascular exercise, but we also need that movement. And I just really encourage people who are trying to get more exercise in their life or start an exercise program. Start there, start Mm -hmm. with the movement. See if you can just do a bit more throughout the day. And it just don't be fooled that those small amounts don't add up, right? They do add up. And then walk after a meal, just even 10 minutes. Just try that every day. If you can get out and just walk after a meal,
0: I promise you, you will notice a difference. Mm -hmm. What you described, it was so scary, but the, the leaving your house, going into your car, driving, working, driving home. I just feel like that was my life. And if I, you know, I only that was in my twenties and early thirties. But it's like, if I repeated that for decades and decades and decades, it's like, Oh my gosh, like, where would you be? And not even just the physical health, but then like what that does to your mental health and like Mm -hmm. beliefs about yourself and not having any activity besides like just being in front of a screen. Like, it's just, it's a really hard life to live Mm -hmm. and unsatisfying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we've, we forget, right? Because, you know, sitting down is pretty comfy. So there's some part of your brain that says, well, I'd prefer to be sitting. Right. <laughs> I'd rather be sitting or I just have to do this one thing. Mm-hmm. But if you can talk yourself out of that, like what I do during the day is I put on a Pomodoro timer. Um, and I put that on for 25 minutes. And when I've been sitting for 25 minutes, I get up for five I have a yoga mat in my office. Sometimes I do some, um, yoga poses. Sometimes I just stare out the window. I, you know, move around. I do have a standing desk, but I sit and stand. So I just try to break up that sitting time all day long. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. what you described, like, I say this a lot too. Like we're just kindergartners. We're just five-year-olds in bigger bodies, but like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if we're sitting on the rug for too long, we need to do some sort of movement break and then we're going to go to our desks and maybe we're going to do some sort of movement break or we're going to walk in the hallway. But like, I think that because we know that kids sit too much, it's built into, it. we try to move kids more, but as mm. adults, we just like, ah, this is how it's always been, you know, well, it's just what I do. And if, if you don't have that, it's not going to pan out well. Yeah. You know?
1: And many adults, we learn to do that in school. Right? We were told to sit still, to listen, to concentrate, to focus. We were rewarded for that. So then, when we try to change that long standing habitual pattern when we're adults, it's tough. Right? So, we have to remind ourselves that that focus and that work ethic is great, but don't do it at the cost of your health. Because you do pay eventually. You know, all that seated time also means usually, you know, that your leg strength isn't as good that your hip strength isn't as good that you're you're putting a lot of load on your spine, like there are so many things um, about that seated time that you will want to fight against. Um, And just think of it, you know, as a separate health risk, you you don't want to be in a chair all the time. Now, I'm not telling you you should be standing all the time. I don't think that we have really good evidence that just replacing a seated desk with a standing desk that you're at for hours and hours and hours and mobile is necessarily, you know, the perfect solution. Um, but I think a combination of breaking up that sitting time is just so important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, so when it comes to your day, I know you mentioned that you'll run four to five times a week. What are the things do you make sure that you do on a daily basis to make sure that you're taking care of yourself?
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, big question because, um, full disclosure, I had two accidents in 2020. So I take care of myself a little bit differently. They were a a really good lesson on how important that self-care piece is though. Um, I had a cycling accident where I ended up with um, multiple injuries. I had a shoulder injury and arm wound and ended up with quite a bad concussion. And then on a run 10 weeks later, I had um, a blackout sadly, and had a concussion on the other side. Wow. So I had a year of concussion recovery, but, um, I was someone previously who'd focused a lot on physical health, even though I knew the benefits of the mental health piece. I had just really focused on yoga and running and, um, strength training and paddle boarding in the summer, but. Boy, oh boy, what a lesson in how important it is to take care of your brain health. Um, And so I am an absolute devotee of uh, meditation every day, every single day. Um, And when it really changed for me was when I moved from 10 minutes a day to 30 minutes a day. And I can't do that every day. I mean, I know that's a big commitment, but I try at least two or three times a week to start my day with 30 minutes of meditation. But I start every day with at least 10 mm-hmm. um, doing a mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. I am also a multitasker, a terrible multitasker. And I know multitasking is not recommended. <laughs> But I, I like to be able to do two things at once. So I commute to work by
0: running. And so I wear a backpack and I bring that's my a stuff. different kind of multitasking <laughs> though. Yeah, that's, you're not trying to like work on two projects at the same time. That's no, not, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I run to work. Um, so
1: I mm-hmm. do that uh, three or four times a week. I try to also walk home as much as I can, and especially during COVID. I'm a dedicated transit rider because of the work that I do. So I try to transit and have walking as well, even though I own a car. Um, I just, again, it's about movement. I just try to get that extra movement into my day by taking transit. We know that transit riders. Um, typically get, I think it's something like 2,500 or 3,000 more steps per day than non-transit riders. And that's pretty significant. So I try to take transit. I walk, I um, commute by running to work. I try to do yoga. I'll admit that I fall in and out of yoga, but I'm certainly trying. Mm-hmm. Um strength training a couple of times a week. And then on the weekends, I do a lot of trail running, which I've kind of mm-hmm. stopped in this last year, but mm-hmm. I was doing some pretty long distance events. So I was um doing a lot of um big trail runs on mm-hmm. the weekends. Yeah. It's oh, amazing. And yeah. paddle boarding in the summer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that because I think that having like a structured approach to exercise is really helpful especially when it comes to strength training. Mm. Um but going on those adventures on weekends with movement, that's been a game changer for us. Mm. Even like the way we travel now, it used to be, I don't know. I think that travel used to be about eating and drinking, how much food and how much alcohol can we drink? Mm. And now it's like we put our bikes in the back of our car and we're like what trail can we go to? What we what can we explore? And it's just a game changer. It is. I um
1: I have Run in so many cities around the world. I can yeah. tell you running routes from all over the place um, because I think that's one of the most amazing ways to see a city is on foot. Uh, so I have a little game that I play, the Urban Gorilla Run, where you run to a light. Okay. And then if the light doesn't change, you have to go the other way. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just to do a route around a city um, within reason, carrying a map. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that. I agree with you though. And I, we just, um, we went to Indianapolis this past weekend and I mean, there's not like a lot to see in the Midwest, but it was like, we had our bikes. Um, Mm. my husband can't run because of some foot surgery, but anyways, we have our bikes. And I said, I was like, we get to see so much more of a city because we're like, out and doing something and we have something to do. Like we have Mm. like, this is what we're here to do. We're here to bike or here to run or whatever. And I was Mm. able to go run a little bit in, um, by the Airbnb we stayed at, but it's like, it's just, it just adds so much more to life than the constant eating and drinking, which it gets old and you feel gross at the end of the trip, Mm. but running and cycling and just exploring, it's just so nice. I've spent a lot of time combining the two where I would go
1: to a city, do a big event and then go for some fabulous dinner, you know, like yeah. go and find somewhere afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Right. Because if you start off your trip with an event, then you feel pretty guilt-free for the rest. As long mm-hmm. as you're walking, as long yeah. as you're commuting around the city on foot yeah. or on transit.
0: <laughs> yes. Plug for transit. Um, is there anything I didn't ask that you'd like to share with listeners that you think is really important? Wow. Um I guess just the older I
1: get, the more I realize how important physical activity is, especially for women. Um, we can fall off the map, right? We can fall off the map with physical activity and It just is so key. And again, I would just stress that idea about don't worry about where you are. Like, don't apologize for where you are. Just get just get moving. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I think that's it. I would just say if, you know, anybody wants a super active vacation, come to Vancouver. Bring your bike.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, where are the best places that people can find you if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah. So you can go to my website at agesister.com. Um, I have a little free mini course right now. Just if you were thinking about doing a bit more movement, I have a mini course that will just walk you through that and how to match that to habits. Um, and there's a podcast on the site. There's a blog where you can read more about all sorts of topics. Yeah. So come visit
0: is the podcast age sister as well.
1: It is. Yeah. Okay, great. On Apple podcasts and really anywhere that you'd find podcasts.
0: Great. I'll put all of the yeah. links to that in the show notes. Thanks again for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you.